I've gotten tired of of arguing with my dad about, you know, he tells me, well, I'm going to play golf today. And I'm like, well, I think that's dumb. He's like, well, we're all going to get our own carts. We leave the flag in so nobody touches the same thing. And we basically see each other 18 times on the tee box and 18 times at the green. And then they just go their separate ways and play their separate balls. Yeah. Roy Williams was actually saying that that's what he's been doing. Um, Yeah. And... Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how he's passing the time right now, too, because there's really, you know, he's not a Netflix person. Um, I mean, let's be honest, playing golf is what Roy would be doing at this time of year anyway, if if there was a normal season going on. Yes, yes, that's exactly, yeah. So he's he's in his habitat. Yeah. Um, (laughs) If they close golf courses, though, he's going to, I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to have to, like. Yeah, that's Wanda's problem. Welcome to an ACC podcast. I'm Lauren Brownlow. Uh, quarantine episode three, I guess, of Quarantine Nation that we live in right now. Um, but I, I am excited that we like actually have something to talk about this week, um, just in the sense of uh, Connor O'Neill is going to be joining us, or is joining us, from the Winston-Salem Journal. Um, and I think... Connor can sort of speak to an interesting phenomenon that we've already, I think, seen play itself out a little bit in that, oh, your coach had a bad basketball season? Well, good luck firing him because who else are you going to hire right now? Um, and I don't want to, I mean, Connor, you're going to have to tell me, but does it seem like what's going on right now around the country where travel's locked down everything else? Is that is that playing a role in any decision making regarding Danny Manning right now? It's. I think it, it's definitely playing a role. Uh, it's tough to measure how much of a role it plays against an enormous buyout. Against you know, just well, that's that's really the only other major factor. But, but it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's it's those two things. Um, just just have a blockade at this point on Wake Forest doing anything. Uh, resembling a coaching change right now. Do you know how much they did ahead of like this obvious this this lockdown? Like, did they do anything in terms of reaching out like behind the scenes or anything like that just to be ready for when this would all go down? Like yeah, in terms of the end of the year, not coronavirus, obviously. Yeah, that's the question that uh, is is kind of I don't I don't know if there's a dis- distinct answer to it because you had the David Glenn report come out. Um, I think the day after they played in Chapel Hill, the last week of the season. And that was the, the both sides had started negotiating a buyout of his contract. Well, I said, no, Connor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was Danny's response to you when you uh, asked for a follow-up on that. Yep. Um, so I actually believe Danny when he says that that no, they weren't working on a buyout because if you believe the Jeff Goodman report that it's a fully guaranteed contract, what is there to negotiate when it's a fully guaranteed contract? Right. You know, you're not negotiating anything. You can either pay it or you can't. So yeah, there's, they have no leverage over Danny the way maybe even because I think they negotiate like for football, North Carolina and Larry Fedora, I believe had. 
a little bit of a negotiation there and was able to get him down a little bit from what I understand. Yeah. Um, but th- I don't know that they have any leverage over Danny right now. No, I, I, and I don't think they do. And, you know, if if Danny doesn't want to go anywhere, then he can just sit there with his arms folded and say, give me all my money or I'm going to be your coach next year. And it's I don't know how it gets more any any simpler than that, really. Um, so I think the I think the negotiation leak was was almost kind of a negotiating tactic to kind of accelerate the the process and kind of facilitate some things to say, look, this is how much you're disliked by your fan base, by, you know, you, 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 you saw the immediate reaction was, was just party in the streets when the, when the report came out and it's like, Oh my gosh, it's finally happening for wake fans. Um, so that's where, that's where I think that it's, it was a ploy and, and it kind of failed. Wake alums, we've talked about this a little bit, but they have sneaky deep pockets, um, even though there aren't a ton of them, but, I guess from what you understand, they don't have this kind of money or you don't know, or. Yeah. I'm not sure if they had it before the coronavirus shut everything down. And I'm almost positive that there's no way they have it now. Um, Oh gosh. I didn't even think about that element. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking about, um, you know, one of the biggest or the biggest booster when it comes to wake basketball is Mitch Shaw. I mean, his name is on the Shaw performance center. Um, that houses their new training facility and their new offices and all that. Well, he's a hotel mogul in Atlanta. And if nobody's traveling, then your hotels aren't, aren't making any money. And so if he's all of a sudden got to figure out, you know, how do I avoid laying off X amount of people? I'm not sure how far down his priority list paying off a basketball coach to not coach weight basketball is at this stage. Yeah, that for some reason, and that makes a lot of sense. I just had not even thought about that. I thought about more like they can't interview coaches or, you know, yeah, yeah, no, it, yeah. It, like it, there, there have been several times for me too, where it's, you just have these moments where you think like, Oh yeah, that's an area that's affected by the coronavirus. You know, you, you just think in broad terms of, this affects everything, but then you run into the specifics and you're like, Oh my gosh, that even this is affected. Even this is affected. Like it's just, it's, you know, it's a global pandemic and you know, we don't take it for granted, but sometimes it's still worth uh, a reminder of how much it touches. Yeah. I, I thought for instance, at BC, I thought that Jairus Hamilton putting his name in the portal was going to doom Jim Christian. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you see not long after that, like a day or so later, it's like, oh, he's coming back. And you're like, oh, OK, yeah, we are in this pandemic and Boston College is Boston College. And there's no way that, you know, they I'm sure they haven't done even half the legwork that Wake has likely done behind the scenes. Right. Yeah, I would think. Yeah, um, and I, I would I would think that, you know, when when Jim Christian got announced, uh, that sent a a tremor through the wake fan base of, Oh my gosh, we're going to do the same thing as BC because I think Jim Christian's buyout is maybe less than 2 million. I mean, it's, it's tiny compared to, compared to any rumor that you go with, with Danny, whether you think it's eight, 12, 15, 50 million, uh, 
It's not 50 million, but <laughs> it's not 50 million. <laughs> I feel relatively certain it's not 50, <laughs> but, oh. but like, you know, I didn't even realize Jim Christian's uh, ACC record, you know, him and Danny came in at the same time. Jim Christian's ACC record is five games worse than Danny. He's 25 and, and 85. And some of their 25 are stupid, but oh yeah. <laughs> But like the thing is, too, what's weird is, you know, if you asked me who was doing a better job at their respective programs, I would absolutely still say Danny. You know, yeah. I, I really would. And I know I, I don't know that that's a popular sentiment, but I would because, you know what? The thing is, he's gotten you could say a lot about Danny's in-game coaching. And I think that's, you know, has there are some fair critiques there, but like he, he has talent there. He does. Yeah. And. He's, you know, you, you look at this freshman class and they brought in four players. So you lose Tariq Ingram before the season started to an Achilles. That's just bad luck uh, in, a, in a practice or I think it was a practice. I don't think it was one of the closed door scrimmages. But so you lose him. All right. So you got three. You've got a point guard in Jacoby Neath who is extremely athletic and developed throughout the season. He he was a success story this season because he progressed and got better as the season went on. You have Ishmael Massoud, who is a six, eight wing who just is, his shot is so smooth. And it's, it, you watch him have these like glimpses, like in the, in the Charlotte game early in the season or in the Syracuse game, he just hits daggers of three pointers and just without hesitation of the moment. And then you have Odia Guama who, is so raw inside, but you get the feeling that once he gets everything moving in the right direction, you know, I'm, I made a joke a couple times this season that he just, he doesn't know where his body parts are moving when he's playing. He just, he's just a bundle of energy out there. You have those three building pieces. I mean, that's, that's the kind of class that, that gives you hope for the future. And if you just look at that class and you look at the next class coming in, it's, it looks like a lot of the same things. It looks like a lot of, developmental pieces that come in with some promise and some potential that's been overlooked in the recruiting cycle. And they're not, you know, wake isn't beating out Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, Louisville, basically any of the big boys for these recruits, but they're getting developmental pieces with potential and then they're, they're harnessing it to an extent. Yeah. Especially the, the big men, as we've discussed before, like that's something where Danny has really shined in, in terms of developing big men. Um, yeah. And I, I didn't even know the story until until late this season. I didn't know the full scope of it. But like Olivier Saar was a wing until he was about 17 years old and a he, year away from coming to wake. He was a seven foot wing. No, he, he had a really late growth spurt. He was like oh. six, six. And basketball wasn't his main sport until he was like 14. Okay. So, you, you know, he, he came in and he, he got a lot of criticism for being so soft and all it looked like at times uh, in his freshman year and, and really for most of his sophomore year that all he wanted to do was sit on the perimeter and take outside shots. And, and yeah, those were fair criticisms of him. But then you start to understand why he was like that when you, when you get the point that, this kid didn't even really play with his back to the basket until <laughs> until a year before he got to wake. That's insane. I I now kind of want to see him on the wing. Weirdly, um, he <laughs> so, he does he does have a nice jumper. It just yeah. it, for whatever reason he just didn't make enough of them consistently to 
to really justify being a guy that takes, you know, two or three outside shots a game. I just want to see him take some. I mean, he does have a nice handle. I guess that I did always notice that about him. That may be why. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is. He is a very skilled player. I mean, and, and they went out and found him in France. Um, you know, it's there have been success stories. It's just been individual success stories. So how does he how does what happens what's happening right now affect his decision, do you think? Well, uh, that's interesting because I've I've actually heard from a couple people and I think Les put this uh, on his board. I don't want to speak to something that he's got behind a paywall uh, without having it myself. But um, I think Olivier will not be back at Wake Forest if Danny is back. Oh, man. Um, I, I I don't know uh, if it's a if it's a matter of they had a falling out late in the season. I don't know if it's a matter of Olivier doesn't like Danny's coaching. I don't know if it's Olivier sees that they're not going to get to the tournament in his last season and he either wants to go be a professional in France or anywhere overseas or if he wants to en- try to enter the NBA and go the G League route. Yeah. Um, but but I've, I've got it that if Danny is back – there will be no Olivier next year. Wow. Okay. I'm a little, I'm a little surprised by that, but yeah, that makes some sense, I guess. I, I saw, I think on Twitter or something that he's still here. Is he stuck here? Yeah. He's, uh, he's staying in Durham with one of the, one of the walk-ons actually Blake Buchanan. So, oh. um, yeah, I know, I know from talking to a couple of women's golfers, uh, early that, or yeah, early this week that, um, you know, one of them's from Italy, one of them's from China, and their their situations were just, you'd be better off staying here and not going home, especially the one in Italy. She'd go home and just basically never leave her house. Now she's staying with family in Miami, and she can go to the golf courses that's, that are still open and go to the pool. So, yeah, <laughs> well. I think... I think there's there are a lot of stories about international athletes and and Wake has a lot of international athletes that kind of look at it and weigh the options. And once you start weighing the pros and cons, it really gets outweighed that it's better off. You're better off just staying here, even though you're not going to be with your family. Yeah, that's really scary. And it it stinks because this is the time of year for a lot of these people, a lot of these people that they can go home and be with their family. And that's not. Who knows when that's going to happen again for them? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of hoping for Olivier's sake that maybe he would have gotten out in time. Uh, But but I guess if he is thinking about going to the NBA, he probably needs to be here. (laughs) Yeah, I I guess. I mean, you know, who knows what the who knows what the pre-draft process looks like? I've kind of cracked up to myself just seeing that, you know, you've got a an announcement or two every day, it seems that somebody is going to test the NBA draft process like uh, DJ Funderburk and um, Devin, Devin Daniels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they were going to test the draft process. And I was like, what okay, well that's process? great. But what draft process are we talking about here? Yeah. We have no idea. That's the thing. And I mean, I guess that's probably with the caveat of like, depending on what that draft process looks like and when that draft even is. Um, yeah. Cause you're seeing it now. And I don't know how much, how many wake players are sort of NFL players, 
prospects at this point in terms of, you know, trying to get drafted, trying to do the interviews and stuff. I know James Smith Williams from State, he caught up with somebody from WRAL and I transcribed this interview uh, a couple days ago. And James was saying he's doing it all. He's doing all those normal interviews that you would do because at this time of year, draft prospects would be traveling around, interviewing with teams, yep. you know, going over tape. He said he's doing that over FaceTime and he's having to like explain to these old GMs and, and scouts oh, like how, how to use FaceTime and like how to get <laughs> that was cracking me. Up. Like <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm having to explain technology. It's pretty funny. <laughs> well, that, that gives me an idea because I'm talking to. The two of Wake's guys that I think are projected draft picks at this point, Justin Sternad and Asang Bassi. Uh, I'm talking to them this afternoon, and and I'll definitely ask them like how much technology are you having to explain to these old NFL GM and scout types? Yeah, James is like I'm having to tell them how to flip the camera the right way and whatever. <laughs> but <laughs> it's just, but you know, and it's and it's something too where a kid like James and I'm sure probably those kids too. Those are those are the types of guys that would really shine in person. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, when you interview those guys in person, they're just really, you know, at least for I can speak to James. You could probably speak to the others. They're really neat kids and smart. And, you know, James is really active in a bunch of social causes, although, you know, who knows how much the NFL gives a crap about any of that. Um, right. <laughs> but like they're good. You know, they, they really do well in that kind of environment. Um, and, and it just this is, has an impact on that, too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, Justin and Asang are two of probably the my top ten favorite interviews uh, since I've in the in the three years I've been on the beat with Wake football. I mean they're they're just so intelligent and they they're the type of kids that they're going to ask you as many questions as you probably ask them. Um, and and they're they're really intelligent. I mean that's where that's where you, Wake has to recruit kids that can also go to the school and pass the classes and and be members of, of the school and not just play on the football team and take a bunch of online classes. So that's where it really helps. And, and you get a lot of intelligent conversation with, with Wake student athletes. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting this week has been a lot. I I've actually, I don't know about you. I've been busier this week and the last couple of weeks than I've been before, probably because there's so many stories coming out about like, and, and so much reporting to do about like how this is affecting everybody. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'm busier. I just know that it's one of the biggest adjustments for me has been it's like I have a nine to five now. It's like I need to I need to be up at a certain time and working by a certain time when, you know, in in, during the seasons, if I wanted to sleep until nine thirty because I had a late night, then that was fine. And, you know, if I if I needed to make up for it and work till eight or nine, then I could do that. But now it's like. I've got a I've got a pretty set routine of okay between nine and five is when I need to schedule all these interviews when I need to be writing and then at five o'clock it's like okay you know should I shut the computer down should I leave open Twitter just to maintain some stuff but the work pretty much stops and and that's a that's kind of a weird feeling yeah um, this week uh, I know at least for us um, on our local radio shows in ninety nine nine I've been flipping those into some content for our website. Um, on WRLSportsFan.com. We've talked to the basketball coaches, the football coaches about like kind of what they're doing. And um, I don't, do you know, do you happen to know if there's any NCAA rules regarding like the use of Zoom right now in terms of like what they can talk about? Because I know Dave Doran said something and kind of alluded to the fact that like there's certain things they're not allowed to discuss, but we didn't get that implication from anybody else. 
Huh. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I don't. Um, you know, when we, we talked to Clawson uh, early last week, so it was still really, really fresh in the process. And he was just basically telling us that, you know, at that point it was almost irresponsible to talk about sports because everything was, was so new that was breaking, but I, I have, I have but no just, idea what would constitute an NCAA violation with Zoom. Right. That's the thing. It's like, well, I don't even, what time, what are they allowed to talk about this time of year? I would assume everything except spring football is no longer going on. So like, <laughs> I guess yeah, I, they're not allowed to have like real position meetings. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess, um, you know, Dave Dave was telling us that there there are things that you obviously can't do at this point, which I, when he says that, you know, he's talking like be on the field with the team and practicing. Right. Um, and he was saying that there are going to be things that we would be doing in a normal summer that we need to do now to make sure that, you know, when we – when we get some of that time back, and I think he's counting on maybe having extended fall camp or, or something of that nature that you're not doing what's been put off and what you would normally be doing in the summer. So that's, I think he was, I think he, if, if I can translate what he means, I think that's kind of like special teams meetings, um, kind of going over film of, of opponents, uh, for Wake, I guess, especially ODU, because that's who they open with. But yeah, I guess it's just team meetings and uh, watching recruiting film and deciding who they want to get on campus when they can actually get people on campus again uh, and who they want to offer. Yeah, David Cutcliffe was saying that he's working with the coaches now on like the beginnings of an install. Um, yeah. And for, by that, we mean like basically game planning and stuff and and like play calls and all of that stuff in terms of what they want to do and i he they're just he 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 was careful to say that when he meets with the players and stuff they're just talking they're not talking about football so i do wonder if that's something where they're not allowed to have actual position meetings because that would be considered quote unquote coaching i also have no idea how you would actually enforce that yeah i mean yeah Mm I mean, I, I hate to I hate to be one of the conspiracy theorists that says if you're not cheating, you're not trying. But it's like, what, what are you going to do? Have have your compliance turn you in because you discussed, you know, what your kick coverages are going to be on, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the other so aspect of this, like you said, there's no way to regulate that. The other aspect of this, I think, and and I don't know how much you've heard from Wake players about this, is just, you know, football is one of those games, especially that you have, you know, the quarterbacks and wide receivers get together and you do all these things on the actual field. And and it's something where, like, if you don't get back on a football field until June, July, um, because Mac Brown was saying that they might do something where they have like a summer period and then go back to fall. Like they're talking about that, too. Yeah. Um, and but I mean, even if you don't get back on till June, July, I wonder how much of an impact that ends up having on what we see on the field. Oh, yeah, that that's I mean, last year uh, with Jamie Newman having the season that he had, we heard constantly. It felt like every week uh, for for a month or two there, we heard about how the the whole 
development and the whole breakthrough nature of his season started in the summer when he started going out to the indoor on a random Saturday morning and throwing to Sage Surratt for two hours and throwing to Scotty Washington. And, you know, that's, that's going to be missed time that can't be made back up just because they're not around campus. Um, and, and social distancing dictates that you, you don't need to be around each other. So yeah, yeah. there's, there's going to be some missed time and there's going to be some missed chemistry aspects that normally happen in the summer that are just aren't going to be there. Yeah. And I, I don't know. I mean, we could speculate on the season itself, but I think as David Cutcliffe said, if we get into the fall and that's in jeopardy, then we probably have bigger issues to be thinking about than whether or not we're playing a football season. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's, I mean, yeah, we can, we can talk about what everybody has coming back right now and, and that's, a good yeah. distraction, but yeah, if, if there's no season, then what's the point? Well, and I, you know, it's interesting when we talk about what the NBA draft process would look like. I don't know that either because, I mean, these guys are going to go a really long time probably without touching a basketball. Yeah. I just don't even know what that would be. I don't even, I, I think the NBA season is done personally. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they would just be better off if they said, okay, it's done. We'll just go straight into the draft process and have a late draft. I mean, that's, that's the only thing I can think of to where this might work for them in terms of at least giving these guys time to sort of get back ready and, and get, you know, get to where they can do something on a basketball court again. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, you you can't have the NBA draft while the season is still going, right? And even if it's the playoffs, you can't have the draft because you just you don't know. Man, this right. this timing, I mean, it's it's not great. I've it's I've really- seen I've seen the word so many times that I'm I'm tired of it, but it does you know it's uncharted. It's it's really there's no precedent for it. There's no you know blueprint that we've already yeah. had we had this happen at this time and this is what we did. So these are the adjustments. It's, there's, there's no uh, playbook to follow. I think both Cutcliffe and Mac were saying that they were going to be talking to the NCAA as the, you know, olds in college football um, to, to sort of see them through this. I know Cutcliffe said he'd be on a call here in the next few days because they're going to go through various scenarios. And I mean, his biggest thing right now he was saying is safety of the players like at what how many months you know how much time do you need to ensure that guys are ready to play an actual football game and I know all kinds of scenarios are on the table right now what from anything from like we said the the summer period and then you know to sort of make up for what was missed in the spring and then and then fall camp or potentially even just playing conference games that one is harder for me to see yeah yeah and you know these college coaches have such a problem already with only being able to, to hit once or twice a week because of safety. And, you know, now, now you're looking at, okay, are we going to, are we going to just throw these kids out there in mid September or early October with just an abbreviated version of, of the off season and of spring and of everything that leads up to that. And, I don't know. And and the thing is the thing is too like and and this is, you know, obviously not ACC focused necessarily, but the financial impact that the those lower programs would have like the G5s and the um 
you know, lower tier programs of like having those types of games canceled, even the FCS programs would just be like, we can't even begin to say what that impact would be on those programs. Like they, their budget depends on those games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you hate to, to speculate, but I would think that you'd see some, some sports team, some, some programs eliminated. I mean, that's, that's where that would go. Or, or you'd see everybody, you know, maybe schools would batten down the hatches for their spring sports and tell them you, well, you can't travel except for these couple times and you've just got to go play regional games. Um, and this is going to take a lot of leadership from the NCAA to, to maybe say like, okay, well, you can go play more division two and division three games and they don't necessarily have to count as exhibitions um, just to, to cut down on travel costs. It's, and this is, it touches everything. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much you know about the financial, like Wake's financial situation, but what, you know, I guess obviously they weren't going to make the postseason anyway, but they would get some money from units from the NCAA tournament. I know that's a little bit more yeah. spread out over time. Um, so that's probably not as big a deal to them as like if a football season were to be put in jeopardy. Right. 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 Um, you know, the biggest, the biggest thing with the football season being in jeopardy is the, I would think, or at least the single most important game is Wake is supposed to play Notre Dame in Charlotte. And, you know, that that's a game that when, when Notre Dame came to Wake in 2018, the stadium sold out and it was a boon for the economy. So you put the game in Charlotte with a stadium that's twice the size as Wake's, you figure you're going to get at least, you know, you might not, get all 70,000 seats in Bank of America sold out but or whatever the capacity is but you're you're definitely getting a lot more than 31,500 which is the capacity of BB&T and so that if if that game goes by the wayside then that's a lot of lost revenue yeah i mean they the power 5 schools can survive it cuz they have more money than the other ones but it, it's still definitely would start to impact how things are done because those sports pay for other sports. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, we might see programs eliminated or scaled way back. Uh, I don't think you'll see that for the top tier programs, like for the basketball and for football and stuff. But I think you'd start to see trickle down impacts everywhere else. You would have to. Yeah. I mean, it'll, it'll touch the, the volleyballs and the tennises and the golfs and, uh, field hockey, um, you know, those are the sports that Wake has. I'm, I'm trying to think of the other ones. You know, Wake has a very small number of, of programs comparatively to the rest of the P6 and P5. But it's we- it's weird to me that golf courses are still open, by the way. Golf is the perfect social distancing sport. I mean, That's I, true. I've gotten tired of, of arguing with my dad about, you know, he tells me, well, I'm going to play golf today. And I'm like, well, I think that's dumb. He's like, well. We're all going to get our own carts. We leave the flag in so nobody touches the same thing. And we basically see each other 18 times on the tee box and 18 times at the green. And then they just go their separate ways and play their separate balls. Yeah. Roy Williams was actually saying that that's what he's been doing. Um, yeah. And 
yeah, I mean, I guess that's how he's passing the time right now, too, because there's really, you know, he's not a Netflix person. Um, I mean, let's be honest, playing golf is what Roy would be doing at this time of year anyway, if, if there was a normal season going on. Yes, yes, that's exactly. Yeah. So he's he's in his habitat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if they close golf courses, though, he's going to I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to have that's, to like. Yeah, that, that's Wanda's problem. Yeah, that is Wanda's problem. Um, so I guess you guys haven't had those types of conversations with like Danny or Clawson about like what they're watching on Netflix or anything cheesy like that. I mean, I, I haven't heard from Danny uh, since the ACC tournament loss. Um, you know, and we've we've heard that John Curry will be made available to us uh, once a decision is made about the future of the basketball program. Oh really? Um, yeah, and it's it's starting to look like that decision will not be made for a long time. And it just, yeah, it to me it reads at this point like no news is good news if you want a coaching change made. Um, well, I remember I was seeing on Twitter that people were saying because Danny was not included in the statewide PSA, which included Roy and Coach K and, and Kevin Keats about like, you know, stay inside or whatever, um, that like, oh, well, this means Danny's going to be fired. And I was like, Roy Cooper does not know if Danny Manning's going to be fired. Yeah. Yeah. I, that was weird because it was like, you know, we're we're the hoop state and we're going to have our college, our major college basketball coaches on, but we're only going to have three of the four. You can read it as a triangle thing. And, you know, the state is in state department is in Raleigh and they reached out to the three schools that are within a couple miles, but that was kind of how I read it, but yeah. 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 I mean, this is, this is two years in a row now where Wake fans are just sitting on edge and looking for any kind of inkling one way or the other at this point. At this point, it's, it'd be better off for them to have an answer, even if it's the answer they don't want, just to have the answer and have some clarity moving forward. But, right. I think, I think at this point, Wake fans would probably understand with everything that's going on if they have to keep Danny. My question... <laughs> I think there'd be some some begrudging acceptance at yes, this point yes. might be the best way to put it. But yeah, they're they're they've worked themselves into a frenzy that's going to be pretty tough to come down from. Yeah, and I get that. And I guess, you know, I don't I don't know how much financial impact this would have on basketball right now, because like we said, there's just so much still up in the air. I am not of the opinion that college basketball will be impacted right now, although we can't know that. Um you know, but at the same time, financially speaking for Wake, it feels like what's been going on is, you know, it, just not being able to fill up that building or even come remotely close Yeah, is, is having an impact already, right? It would seem like it has to. Yeah, I mean, you can't ignore the facts of the attendance drop off. And if Danny is back next season, I mean... I liken it to you're basically playing the game of limbo and how low can you go with your attendance numbers and fan support and, and attendance uh, bottomed out this season. 
69,000 a game or, or 6,900 a game. Ugh. I think next year, if, if it's a normal season and if fans are allowed from game one to game 30, then you're probably looking at something like an average of 6,000 a game. Yeah. Oof. And that- you'll just, you'll just see how low it can go. Do you think that there's literally anything Danny can do at this point to get people to like rally the tr- like get people back to get to save himself I guess if cuz assuming he does stay which I think at this point is probably a relatively safe assumption. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean yeah. I I don't think he is all of a sudden going to become a a personable interview and reveal stuff to us. I mean, part of the problem is there's, there's no effort to relate to fans. There's no effort to use the media myself to, to convey a message. And it's just, yeah, we want to win every game. Yeah. It's tough to lose. If you're a competitor, you want to win every game. You know, they just, they get bludgeoned with the same stuff. And we, we make jokes about how repetitive it gets that, their offensive philosophy is get into the paint and get to the free throw line. But even, even the, even the stuff that goes beyond just X's and O's of basketball is mundane and repeated stuff like the, you know, yeah, it's, it's tough to lose. Uh, Yeah. Our fans are our fans. They're going to support us when we win. And we understand that when we don't, the, they're not happy and, and we're not happy. And at some point that just becomes lip service and they get tired of it. And I don't know if there's any coming back from that. I don't know. I don't know if, if wake all of a sudden next year is a 25 win team. I'm not sure they're drawing any more than seven or, or 7,500 fans. Yeah, no, that sounds right. So that's interesting. So like, have you had like private sit downs with him or just not very often? No, uh, I had a private sit down with him in June after the 2017-18 season. And that's the last time I was one-on-one with Danny. Wow. Because I I don't know about you. I think he's so much better in that setting. Yeah, he is. Uh, And that was a great conversation. But there's just... He's he's (laughs) not available. and, And when he is available, he just he's a robot and you know fans aren't dumb they pick up on stuff like that and it's it's really frustrating for them and it didn't i mean it did in jeff bazelic too yeah be like that you know that's i i think that does play a role um you know it probably it it would work against danny if his predecessor had been some kind of personable you know great interview and would tell anybody anything type of guy because uh, then it would be the opposite and, and you'd have that. But yeah, when it's been 10 years of the same thing, Danny kind of ends up paying for the sins of, of Jeff Bazelic and how much of a um, weirdo. Man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> awkward, awkward pariah, just, yeah. Uh, At there's least an old, there's an old thing in the NBA and, you know, Michael Jordan said you get respect by showing no respect. And yeah, the the gif on the sideline that Luke DeCock really loves. <laughs> I love that one, too. Yeah. yeah. 
and that and then like the because I was at that presser where in, against state where they lost by like 30 and he was like if it hadn't been for that 30 to something run you know <laughs> in the game I remember I was there because I laughed and no one else laughed and I felt weird and I was like oh no and he yeah. didn't laugh and I was like oops that wasn't meant to be funny <laughs> yeah he like, just I thought he was joking and you know the the weird thing about Jeff is I've I've heard from from Country Dan that Jeff actually had a really kind of funny in a dry way a humor to him. Yeah. But it just it it never translated and it never came off as any kind of endearing. It was just this guy is is a complete like he's a complete weirdo. Yes, he 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 was and is. Is he, he's still in the NBA, right? Yeah, he's on the Pelicans bench now. I think he you know, he tried to retire. Then the Rockets brought him back. Then the Rockets didn't get better defensively like they thought they were going to. So they basically like ushered him back into retirement. And then I think he took a. I think he was on the Pelicans bench this year. Okay, and it's funny too. Like I've been doing these triangle time hops around here just to look back into the past and what happened on this day, et cetera. And the other day I was watching um, Danny versus NC state. I think it was in 86. Yeah. 86 in the NCAA wow. tournament. And he was even back then, like he just took over that game. This wasn't even 88. This was two years away from that. Yeah. He was so, so good. Like it was, it was really fun to watch him like that. Cause he, by the way, he looks the exact same. <laughs> yeah. I, I have noticed that he, he has not, his appearance has not changed in, in probably 30 to 40 years. I mean, I saw a picture of, of uh, the team that he was on at page uh, that won the state championship. I think it was 83 and he looks yeah. the exact same. Yeah, it's crazy. It, it's, it's not one of those uh, where's Waldo moments where you have to find the guy in the picture that you're looking for. You just, you're, you're immediately drawn to, Oh, that's Danny Manning. And that's the thing, like, that's something from him being from this area and the only one-on-one I've ever had with him that we talked about this and, like, how much that meant to him to, like, be back here and stuff. But he never conveys that either. Like, he doesn't leverage the fact that he's from here and has a personal connection to here nearly as much as he should either. No. um, You know, when we we had the the bizarre, uh, it wasn't, I don't, I... I shy away from even calling it a press conference because it was basically just a roundtable discussion uh, last year when they decided to bring him back. It was with Danny and Ron and then myself, Les, Ed Harden, and somebody else. And I can't remember I can't remember the exact context, but like Danny said something about about winning championships and he mentioned eighty eight and Ed Ed had to kind of almost remind him that he won the state championship with Paige in 83. And it was just yeah. such a weird moment because it was like, Danny, like that, that still means something. People in Greensboro will still remember that. And you don't have to bring up the fact that you left when your dad got the job in Lawrence at Kansas and you went and played your senior year out there. You know, that, that doesn't have to be brought up, but it, it's, it's always just felt like uh, Danny avoids talking about his roots in Greensboro because it, he always thinks that it's going to be mentioned how he left. And this, I don't think that's necessarily the case all the time. 
Oh, it's definitely not. No, I think people that still matters to people. And there are way more Wake fans in Greensboro having grown up there than people even realize. Yeah. So, yeah. And Winston's, although Winston-Salem and Greensboro aren't quite as connected as like maybe the triangle is, you know, it's not quite the same thing. Yeah, um, there's, there's that there's that weird, you know, <laughs> 12 to 15 miles on on 40. And then uh, it's the Salem Parkway now, not Biz 40. But yeah, that that 12 to 15 miles uh, is a is a pretty distinct separator. Yeah, I mean, growing up in Greensboro, we we did not go to Winston-Salem all that often. Um like unless we were visiting a family member, we just didn't yeah. do it. Um, and it's so it's not quite like here where you bounce around Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. Cer- certainly Raleigh, Durham, they bounce around between each other, but mm-hmm. that doesn't that didn't happen as much growing up. But it's still an area that you know it's the triad. It's it has its own, <laughs> you know, it has its own ethos. It has its own like mentality, and and Greensboro is close enough to Winston Salem that you know that matters to them. So yeah, definitely. Um. All right. Well, before I get you out of here, um, I guess you've been working nine to five, but what else you've been doing to keep busy? Uh, gosh. Um, I've been on Netflix a little bit. Uh, I'm not that big of a Netflix guy. I've always just watched cable and watch been at the mercy of whatever's on, but, uh, I haven't gotten into Tiger King. Oh. I haven't gotten into Tiger King. Uh, I still think the best thing I've seen about Tiger King is uh, I think it was Josh Goodson maybe said that if 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 Tiger King is about all of Tiger Woods majors, then I'd watch. But otherwise, <laughs> no. That that's kind of my sentiment on that. Um, I the did watch. Oh, okay. I did watch the like two minute trailer for it, so I have an idea of what it's about. It's completely bananas. And like the thing about it is because actually like I'm a big podcast listener and there's already a podcast that's been out about this, which when I heard the trailer for it, because I think it's a Wondery podcast and Wondery, if you are subscribed to one Wondery podcast, you're going to get a million notifications of like, please listen to this podcast. Uh, Check out our new Wondery thing. And when I heard the trailer for it, I was kind of like, ah, the visual medium of this story, though, is so like adding that into it i think enhances it quite a bit because it is every episode just gets more and more insane and it's it's actually kind of the perfect show if you're into like whatever's on on cable it actually is kind of like that it's very like much like a cable-y type show of like background filler you know what i mean like like a weird show you'd see on court tv or something one of those weird reality shows (laughs) of like it's like dog the bounty hunter and uh i don't even know what else to combine it with i'm just the crazy guy has a bunch of tigers and like it just tries to get famous by any means necessary is that basically the gist well he has a feud with another person who has tigers and oh. she's like she's like an earth mom hippie type woman and okay yeah and it ends up getting it escalating really quickly also this guy is gay and has I picked up on that in the trailer multiple husbands Wow. Okay. And you don't, you don't run into too many gay polygamists. That's right. And it is, <laughs> it's like, it's like uh, I, the memes are so great with it. It's like, it's got, it's like Stefan from SNL, you know, it's like this, this show has everything, polygamy, tigers, you know, meth. Um, oh yeah. I got to throw that in there just for good measure. Murder for hire, you know, Jeez. everything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, so you have to watch some. Are you quarantined by yourself? 
No, I've got my girlfriend here in the house. Okay. So, and you know, uh, we've, we've been making it work. Uh, it's, it's been pretty, pretty nice so far. So getting a lot of takeout and stuff or, uh, we make a lot of food here actually, whether we, I, we've stocked up on frozen food a couple times and I think we have another trip of doing that today, but we've been cooking our little hello fresh recipes and box spaghettis and pastas and stuff like that. So when I went to the store last, when I went to the store last week, pasta was gone. So yeah, the first time I, I went on a, on the Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening after the ACC tournament and that in that entire section of the grocery store looked exactly like the toilet paper section is there was no boxed pastas anywhere to be seen. But I think my girlfriend went uh, a little bit later on in the week that that week or like yeah. that next week. And she found some. So we, we got we got lucky, I guess. That's just what's frustrating is it's like I'm used to being able to do my grocery shopping whenever I want. And it's like if I go to the grocery store, they don't have stuff and I have to go back. It's like, no, that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. I know. All right. Well, I'm going to get you out of here. Tell everybody where they can find you so that they can know when Wake Forest, quote unquote, makes a decision about its (laughs) basketball program. (laughs) Uh, It's the Winston-Salem Journal, uh, WSJournal, no, journalnow.com. Um, and on Twitter at C O N O R O N E I L L W S J. All right. Thanks so much, Connor. Uh, Thank I'll you, talk Lauren. To you. I'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>